You know, our worship team does a great job every single week, but really the last two weeks, it's not because they've played better or sung better, but I, I just really have felt the uh, Spirit of God move in worship, and I'm thankful for a worship team that leads us and invites God to bring us uh, into His presence. I hope and pray that you've sought that in worship, that as you're worshiping, you realize that the Spirit of God is among us, and that you are able to, to open your hearts You're able to worship the God who saves. And so this morning, as we begin to open up the Word of God, I hope that our hearts have been prepared. I know mine has. And I'm ready to see and hear what God wants to teach us about His church and serving this morning. Uh, If you've been a part of our uh, worship services the last few weeks, uh, you know we've been doing a series on the core beliefs of First Baptist Church. Uh, And we have six core beliefs, somewhere around 18 different articles that we summarize in six core beliefs. I would encourage you to go back and and look at our audio podcasts that we have uh, for the previous weeks if you're curious about our beliefs. Or you can look on our website at fbcrobinson.com slash beliefs. You can not only see these six core beliefs, but you can also see a link to the the lengthier 18 article uh, doctrinal statement we have that kind of goes through all the details of what we believe. What I like about that lengthier uh, documentation there is is that it not only has our 18 articles, but it has a a large number of scripture verses that support why we believe what we believe. So I would encourage you to to check that out on our website uh, as you have time this week. Just to summarize what our core beliefs are at First Baptist Church. Uh, We started off by talking about the Bible. The Bible is the Word of God. It's our starting place. Because we believe the Bible is the Word of God, everything it teaches helps us to understand more of who He is. We also believe that salvation is only through Jesus Christ. You can't find it in a a large number of religions. You can't find it in working or doing good things. It's only found through the work of Jesus Christ. Our third core belief is that God alone is eternally perfect with an emphasis on those two words. God is eternal. He's always existed. And if you think about that long enough, it blows our minds to think that God has no beginning. And he is also perfect. Everything he does is right. He never does what is wrong. We talked about a couple of weeks ago that man is created in God's image, or last week, that man is created in God's image, that you are specially created. It wasn't an accident. You're not here because of some evolutionary uh, uh, draw or luck of the draw. You're here because God created you and he created you special. We also believe that the church exists to serve. And this morning we're going to talk specifically about what that means. And next week we'll wrap up by talking about uh, the belief that Jesus Christ will return. That there is a, a finality to this fallen world. That there is a judgment that comes and there is salvation that can be found in eternity. But as I said this morning, we're going to focus on that fifth core belief. The church exists to serve. You know, if you did a study asking people why we have church, you could probably poll 100 people and get 100 different answers. As you start to think about what is the purpose of the church, but why do we even exist? And I don't just mean why do we gather on Sunday mornings or, or why do we, we collect together, but why did God give us a church? There's a lot of different answers you may get. As a matter of fact, a lot of people believe that the church exists so that we can show up one place a week and all learn something about the Bible. You know, I'm glad that the church does that. I'm glad that the church offers Bible teaching. It's biblical that we offer Bible teaching. We should be offering Bible teaching, but that's not the purpose of the church. 
A lot of people will say the purpose of the church is to give us a community so that we have other Christians that surround us. You know, the church is a community. I'm thankful that the church gives us other Christians that surround us. When we struggle, we all struggle together. When we rejoice, we all rejoice together. But that's not the purpose of the church. That's just a benefit of the church. As we read scripture, the church really has a specific purpose. And the specific purpose is to serve. The church exists not to receive, but to give. The church doesn't gather together so we get something out of it, but so that we can participate in it and give something through it. We're going to look at that idea of service here this morning and why we exist not only as a church corporately gathered together, but why you exist as a part of the church. It's very important to understand the difference between a universal church and a local church. So we believe at First Baptist because the Bible teaches that there is... There is really, in essence, two ways of looking at the same church. One is what you were used to thinking about. That is our local body of Christians. That's you all gathered together this morning. We are the local church. In Robinson, there are dozens of local churches. Now, First Baptist is one of them. Within the, the array of local churches, there are many different denominations. We are Baptist. That's one of them. But the Bible also speaks of the church as a universal church as a whole. That is, every Christian everywhere creates this universal church out of our common salvation. So in a very real sense, I love how Tracy put it when we got back from our mission trip to England. It's neat to think that we're worshiping locally here, and our church in England that we support is worshiping locally there. But really, we're part of the same church. One of the really neat things about our our churches in Wales and in England is that especially our church in in England meets in Sunday afternoons about the same time that we meet now. Like literally, they're having church service at this very second over there in Telford, England. It's, It's really neat to think that we're worshiping the same God at the same time because we are one universal church. And so this morning when we look at the church, I want to look at that universal aspect the local church this applies to as well but i want you to put yourself in that line of the church exists to serve i want you to say i exist as a part of the church to serve not just the the church building not just first baptist as a body but me as a believer in jesus christ part of god's church exists for the purpose to serve our passage this morning is in first peter chapter four and i want to go ahead and warn you before we turn there sometimes we start reading a passage of scripture and the preacher knows what the context is but but as we begin reading it sometimes the the readers the congregation doesn't really understand why a pastor picked this particular passage of scripture this morning you're going to start off reading in first peter chapter four about suffering but isn't that a great uplifting way to start a sermon let's read about suffering and really, as we read First Peter chapter 4, we, we realize the context that Peter is writing to this particular group of believers is in the midst of extreme persecution and extreme suffering. The Roman Empire has decided that they're going to go after Christians and they are imprisoning them, beating them, and killing them by the hundreds. And so this church exists in fear. And Peter writes to this church to let them know that suffering is a part of of this life but they have a calling that is above their circumstances 
And in 1 Peter 4, especially when we get to verses 10 and 11, you're going to see where Peter makes a big push for the church to continue serving even in their struggle. So as we begin to read, I don't want you to, to tune out and think this is not about serving. This is about suffering. They're linked together, and we'll especially talk about that towards the end of the service. But let's begin by reading 1 Peter chapter 4 together, starting in verse 1. It says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. The time is past. Uh, the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles do: living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they're surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now listen to this push for service. As each one received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Uh, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. As Peter is writing, he gets to a point where he's, he's talked about suffering and, and doing good. And in, really in chapter 4, he just kind of hits the message home. He says, listen, I know you're suffering, but link your suffering with Christ's suffering. You are united with Christ, and therefore, as he suffered, you will suffer. He says that there was a time when, when you weren't suffering because you were living like he calls them the Gentiles. That is, those who are apart from God is what he's referring to here. You lived a life of, of drunkenness and, and orgies and debauchery, and, and he lists all of these sins. And he says the culture is surprised that you don't participate in those things. You're suffering because you're not like the rest of the world. But... In all of this suffering, here's how you overcome it. Serve one another. Love one another. Be there for one another. Do everything not with a, an attitude of, of, of pity or an attitude of woe is me, but instead continue doing what God has called you to do. Continue loving, continue serving, and push forward. That is why the church exists. We exist so that we can serve. And so this morning, I want to ask three questions about service that will be important for us to always remember, regardless of our circumstances. The first question is, who does the church serve? 
Now, a lot of times I like to give softball pitches, easy answers. Just in case you're, you're new this morning, anytime you're asked a church question, you've got a pretty good chance of being right if you answer God, the Bible, or Jesus, right? Those are the three Sunday school type answers. So, underhand, slow pitch toss, who does the church serve? God the Bible or Jesus, right? Yeah, God, right? So, so we actually have several, several ways that the church serves, and it begins by serving God. We begin with a service towards God. Now, these three uh, groups that we serve, these three individuals that we serve, are in a specific order. It is important that before we can serve anyone else, we put our emphasis on serving God. As a matter of fact, you can read the whole book of 1 Peter. And you can see the emphasis is, forget about what's going on around you. Make sure you're living the way God wants you to live. Make sure you're doing what God wants you to do. Make sure you're worshiping Him. Make sure you're honoring Him. Make sure you're doing everything for His glory. All throughout Scripture, we see this emphasis that we are to serve, first and foremost, the God who created us. I like the way Paul puts it in the book of Colossians. As he is writing to the church in Colossae, he tells them, Whatever you do, work heartily, serve heartily. How? As for the Lord and not men. Serve God first. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. When we serve, our emphasis should be a service to God himself. Before all else, I believe, and I've mentioned this before, that the biggest problem with our culture is not immorality, although there is plenty of that. It's that we have inverted our idea of service. Even in the church, we have determined that serving people is more important than serving God. Honoring man is more important than honoring Christ. And so we have turned this idea of service upside down, and we say, who do we serve? People. And if there's time, we'll also serve God. I listened to a podcast just this week about a church in Canada. It's a part of the United State Church in Canada. And there's a, a woman who is a pastor there who is an outspoken atheist. She has told her congregation she doesn't believe in God. She believes in the church. She believes that the church has helped her and can help other people. She believes there's moral things in Scripture, but she doesn't believe that God exists. Several years ago, when she made this public, the church tried to oust her. One-third of the congregation stayed, and two-thirds of the congregation left. Well, it's not surprising when you go to a church and the pastor says they don't believe in God, right? However, she decided to stay, and those who remained supported her. So much so that the state tried to oust her, brought a lawsuit against her, and dropped the lawsuit because they decided that what's more important is that she's helping people. And her theology comes second. Boy, how embarrassing is that to be in a church that doesn't believe in the God whose name created the church? It's really sad to think that there are people, and this is an extreme example, but there are people even in Robinson, Illinois, and even sitting in our service, who have a desire to serve individuals even more than they have a desire to do what's right according to God. We read all throughout Scripture the importance of serving God, putting Him first. And all the way back in the Old Testament, I love when Joshua takes control of the people of Israel. He's appointed their leader. And as he stands before them, he gives this almost brave heart type speech before the people. 
We're getting ready to enter into a new land and we're going to have to make some decisions. We're going to encounter all of these false idols and we're going to have to decide who do we serve. And Joshua, at the apex of his speech, says, If it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day who you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers in the rivers, or in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. And then he says, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There's a, a calling to all of us to examine who we will serve first. Who has top priority in how we live our lives? I believe that if Joshua was standing in Robinson, Illinois, he would stand before and say, If it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose who you will serve. Whether it be the God of your profession or the God of money, whether it be the God of your time or the God of your family, whether it be the God of things or whether it be the God that controls your everyday life, whether it's the mundane, whether it's the the friends, whether it's anything in your life that separates you from him. But, as for me and my house, we will put God first. We have to understand that the church exists to serve, first and foremost, God himself. We are here to bring glory and honor to God above anything. But the church exists to serve more than that because God is a God who loves his creation and particularly he loves humanity who he created in his own image. We are called to serve people as well. And now these next two groups I think can be argued to be flip-flopped either way. I've put them in this order because I think the priority of how we serve should be in this order. And I believe that as we serve God we will have a heart then to serve God the lost we are called as a church to serve what peter refers to here as the gentiles the world that is outside of the the church those who are not believers in god now it's kind of a a novel way of thinking that we are to serve people outside of these walls before we serve people inside of these walls This came under a lot of backlash, especially in the 90s when there was a movement that was not a godly movement, but it was referred to as the seeker-sensitive movement. And really, it was poorly named because it wasn't seeker-sensitive. Instead, it it was, we're putting the priorities of people above the priorities of God, and that happened more often than not. But the idea of being sensitive to those who are seeking Christ is biblical. We should, as a church serve those who are outside of the church it should be a high priority that we care and we love them without motivation to get something without an idea that we should be we should be trying to convert them although we should we should just love and serve the people outside of these four walls there's a principle behind that When you knock on someone's door and tell them, I just want to win you to Christ, often they are busy and don't want to hear. But when you talk to a co-worker and you see they're struggling and just tell them you you want to fix them a meal or have them over for dinner, there's a love that is shared there that opens their heart to the gospel. Our motivation is not to serve for the sake of winning, but to serve for the sake of love. We read in, in 1 Peter, as he's writing to this suffering group of Christians, that their motivation for doing good works, for serving others, is to to bring about a gospel conversation. But our service must come first. 
That's why in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13-15, through 15, he says, Now, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for doing what is good? Now, think about the context of that question. These are people being harmed, being persecuted, being beaten, being imprisoned, and their family members being killed. And Peter says, who's going to harm you if you do good to them? The motivation here in that question really is, why are they going to be mean to you if you're loving, if you care about them? If when they come to arrest you, you willingly go. If you see their, their evil and wicked deeds and you still go and, and ask them how you can serve them. Who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you suffer for righteousness sake, which they are, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ as Lord, as holy. In other words, number one, serve God. And always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason that the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect. There's this idea that we are serving because through serving, the gospel will come out. We should always be ready to speak the gospel. But when we are serving, it opens up those gospel conversations. When we love people genuinely, we're able to talk to them. When people think the only reason why you're talking to them is because you want to convince them of your point of view, the gospel will never come. But if you love the people outside of these four walls, if you serve them the way Peter says to serve them, if you love them even when they don't love your message, then gospel conversations will happen and you can be ready to share with the lost. In 1 Peter chapter 4, our main passage this morning in verse 6, Peter continues and he writes, This is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. That though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Don't get hung up with this gospel preached to those who are dead. He's not talking about people who are physically dead. The gospel is preached to those who are spiritually dead and lost. We serve people that are spiritually dead and lost. We invest in people who are spiritually dead and lost so that there is hope that they might live in the Spirit again. We must have an attitude of serving those outside of these four walls. We are called to serve a lost world. We must serve outside. And then third, and and arguably maybe should be second, but I, I don't believe so, we are called to serve fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, believers in the church. We're called to serve one another. And that's exactly what 1 Peter uh, tells us in chapter 4, verse 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sin. The people reading this would all be Christians. The one another is other brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, Verse 10 says, each one has received a gift. Use it to serve one another. Serve each other. It should be the most loving and welcoming place, church on Sunday morning. When people walk in, they ought to see that that we care and love each other. Now, the reason why I believe that this one should be third is because the love we have for each other necessarily will share with a lost world that we are a church who loves people, even even the lost. When a non-believer looks at a church and sees arguing and bickering, why do they want to come and be a part of the gospel? When a, when a loving church has a presence of serving the lost and serving each other, 
it's like a magnet that draws people to God. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 6, says, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we'll reap if we do not give up. Paul says, keep on serving. Don't grow weary of serving. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, to all people, the lost and believers, anyone, and especially to those who have the household of faith. You may read this passage of Scripture and say, see, this one should be second. We're to do good and serve everyone, but especially brothers and sisters in Christ. But can I tell you why I think Paul says, especially to those who have the household of faith? I think Paul is saying it should be obvious that you love each other. That should happen naturally. You have unity in Christ, so you should get along. Do good to everyone, but the easiest thing you can do. If you're going to do good, you you should be obviously doing good to each other, serving each other. That seems obvious to me if you're in Christ. But, But you and I both know that we invert this this area of service and typically where churches find themselves in trouble is that we get it exactly backwards we want to serve ourselves first then when there's time we want to serve the community if there is any time for that and then lastly we're in great danger when we put god at the bottom who are we called to serve who does the church serve the church serves not only god but also the lost and believers in that order but then there's the question that you get asked all the time if you have a toddler or have had a toddler or or spend any time around a newly growing developing child why does the church serve have you ever been asked the why question from a kid your your son your daughter your niece your nephew your grandson granddaughter why seems to be one of the first words they learn after no and after dada which is what my son likes to say all the time thank you for that and then it's why right why 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 do we have to do this why do i have to put clothes on well because you'll be naked well why can't i be naked well let's go back to genesis chapter 3 and read why there's shame and nakedness well why do i have to eat that because we want you to grow why do i want to grow what because we want you to be an adult i want to be a kid forever but why 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 and eventually we have to say those famous words because i said so i hate that answer When I was a kid, I always said, I hate that answer. When I get to be an adult and a parent, I'm never using that phrase, ever. You know what I found? I get worn down, and they ask why enough, and I look at my daughters, and I say, because I said so, right? Yes, we did, and you're going to stop talking because I said so, right? You know, there is is a, a sense of wanting to know the reasoning behind what we do. And I'm thankful that God doesn't always say, because I said so, but he gives us a purpose and a meaning. Why does the church serve? What is our motivation to serve? Well, it goes back to our priority in serving God first. And every bit of service we do is to bring honor to God. That is our motivation. Above all else, we want to honor God first. The church exists to serve so that we bring Him glory, so that we, we please Him, so that we, we ascribe to Him the worthiness that He deserves. Everything we do is motivated out of honoring God. And that's why Peter tells us in 1 Peter 4.11, whoever speaks 
as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Now listen to the reasoning. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Our motivation and our purpose is not necessarily for ourselves or even for man. But it's to bring glory and honor to God. I'm thankful that we serve a God who cares about people. And we honor God when we honor individuals. There's a reason why on Mother's Day and on Father's Day we honor moms and dads. Because God wants us to honor moms and dads. There's a reason why on Veterans Day and Memorial Day we honor those who have served our country and and especially those who have fallen for our country because God wants us to honor our veterans. There's a reason why we stand up here and praise different ministries going on in our church and thank the leaders of those ministries because God wants us to honor those who are serving. God desires that we serve other people, and in doing so, it brings Him glory and honor. God loves when we heap praise on His people. And so we serve the lost world because it's God-honoring. We serve our brothers and sisters in Christ because it's God-honoring. We worship God because it's God-honoring. In everything we do, we are motivated by this question, does this honor God? By the way, this comes into serving but not only serving it comes into our morality as well there's a reason why we believe every life is sacred and we honor every human life from the moment it's conceived to the moment the lord calls them home we honor those who are unborn and we honor those who are elderly why because god is honored when we care and serve for others the answer to our question of why does the church serve is really simple Do we have our priorities in serving God first? If so, everything is motivated by our worship of Him. I think this last question is probably the hardest pill to swallow. And that question is, how does the church serve? And I don't mean how does the church serve, as in what ways can you as an individual serve? Although, I'll talk about that briefly. God wants you to serve in in specific ways. And I don't know how God is calling you. Maybe God wants you to serve within the church. Maybe God wants you to, to teach a Sunday school class. Maybe God wants you to work behind the scenes with a computer or a sound system. Maybe God wants you to, to help be a greeter or a welcome person. Maybe God wants you to help with our children. Maybe God wants you to, to help on mission. Maybe God wants you to, to serve in, in one of literally dozens of ways we have for you to get plugged in here. Maybe God wants you singing on stage. Maybe God wants you playing an instrument. Maybe God's got a specific way for you to serve within this body. And God also wants you to serve outside these four walls. Do you know it's God-honoring when we serve at the football game and help in the concession stand? You know it's God-honoring when we, when we help our neighbor by clearing a, a driveway of snow or raking leaves in the fall? Do you know it's God-honoring when we recognize that our, our neighbor hasn't had time to mow their grass and so we, we go and we mow grass for them? Do you know it's God-honoring when we feed someone who's hungry? Do you know it's God-honoring when we serve people? But that's not what I mean when I ask the question, how does the church serve? I think those are specific ways that we, we look for. But I think more importantly, it's our, our attitude when we serve. What is our attitude in serving? I think it's important to know the context of First Peter, to know that the church is called to serve unconditionally. 
We're very selfish by nature. We want to serve when it benefits us. What do we get out of it if we, if we put the work into it? Yeah, I'm thankful just this morning I'm reminded of someone who was serving unconditionally. And that Jeremiah called me this morning and asked uh, on a voicemail, I'm here putting ice out and shoveling the sidewalk, or putting salt out and shoveling, shoveling the sidewalks. Um, and I need to know and make sure we're going to have church this morning. Well, I was doing stuff with the kids. I didn't hear the phone ring. I didn't get the voicemail until it was almost time for me to come to church. And I called him back and said, it's too late. I've already done it. I already got it all shoveled and I already got salt put out. And I know we're having church now, but I already did it. You know, he didn't know at that moment whether we were having church or not. But you know what? It didn't matter to him. He was going to do what he needed to do. He was going to serve regardless of the circumstances. I'm thankful for that, Jeremiah. I really am. If I was a better pastor, I'd have had my phone on my hip while I was changing that diaper. I'm sorry. But, uh, but you served regardless of the circumstance. It, too often we have this attitude of, I'll serve if, if it's worth it. I'll serve if I get something out of it. I'll serve if it's, if it's meaningful. I'll serve if it, if it brings me attention. You know, Peter writes to the people here and says, you need to serve regardless of your circumstances. Do we need to remember, as Peter's calling for them to serve, what their circumstances were? The people who Peter is saying to serve are killing them, literally. The people that Peter is calling them to serve hate them so much that they want to see them obliterated and wiped off the face of the earth. The people that Peter is calling them to serve have a goal to extinguish Christianity. And yet Peter says, regardless of your suffering, serve Serve one another and serve those who are persecuting you. The rest of 1 Peter chapter 4 continues on with, with this, this description of the suffering that the people are going through. I encourage you to read the whole chapter. And as you do, just think about the heart that Peter is calling them to. As he's, he's recounting in the rest of chapter 4 how they've been abused and how they've been persecuted. Verse 12 and 13 say, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you as a test to you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. He continues to write about their, their continued perseverance in extremely difficult times. And he says, Serve, love, knowing you'll receive nothing in return, knowing that you'll, you'll be abused and persecuted, continue to serve. Really, the, the why we serve comes down to the motivation and the how we serve, whether it's unconditional or not. So we have to ask ourselves this, this important question. Who do we put our trust in? Really, that will determine whether we're going to serve unconditionally or not. Do we put our trust in our circumstances around us? Do we put our trust in, in everything that's going on in our lives? And do we shell off because of the difficulties we're going through? Or do we serve because we trust a God who is above those circumstances? Do we continue to do good because God is bigger than our problems? Do we continue to serve because, because we trust something greater than our persecutions? The last verse of chapter 4. Peter writes, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Peter says, Don't put your trust in your circumstances. 
Don't put your trust in your sufferings. Don't put your trust in what man is doing. Put your trust in a God who is above that. Continue to honor God. Continue to serve Him. Continue to serve the lost. Continue to serve your brothers and sisters. Continue to love and serve. As we come to our time of invitation this morning, I wonder if we are serving the way God has called us to serve. And I wonder, as Jim referenced earlier, if there's a burden that that has kept us from serving. Maybe there's been something placed in our life that we don't feel like we can get over. It's a persecution that seems too much to bear. I wonder this morning if we can lay it aside. Say, Lord, I want to serve you and serve those you put in my path. Let's pray this morning. Father, I thank you for the salvation that comes through knowing Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. And I thank you that you have called us through that salvation to serve you, to serve the world who does not know you, and to serve our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, let everything we do be motivated by the question, do I, do I bring you honor in this decision? Am I honoring you through my service? And Lord, we pray that even in our difficult circumstances, even in our struggles and our trials, that we would serve and love unconditionally. Lord, we thank you that we can share in your suffering. Lord, we rejoice that we can also share in your humility and your your service. Lord, make us this morning people who have a heart to serve you and others. It's in your name we pray. Amen.